I think I got some heat here. That's tasty. What's next, dog? That was heat. The doctor is in. Hey guys, welcome back to the Doctors and Podcast. Today we have our new friend, Dr. Jerry Walls from Houston, Texas with us. And we're excited to just talk a little bit about um, a big big topic actually, um, hell and <laughs> suffering and things of that. So um, yeah, Dr. Walls, you care to give us a little introduction about yourself? Yeah, uh, I am a, a scholar in residence at Houston Christian University in Houston, Texas. So been there 10 or 12 years. I can't remember exactly how many years. I've <laughs> been there a while. Um, I teach philosophy. Okay. Um, I did my undergraduate at Houghton College. I graduated from Princeton Seminary, Yale Divinity School, and did my PhD at Notre Dame on hell. Fighting Irish. Uh, um. fight, fighting Irish, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I uh, wrote, about, wrote about hell uh, for, my, for my PhD uh, thesis and um, later wrote about purgatory and heaven. Okay. So I've done heaven, hell, and purgatory, among wow. other things. So Big three. So <laughs> the big three. This episode is brought to you by UKCSF's philanthropy team, specifically Gabe. All he asks for is a high five. Now back to The Doctor Is In. How does, <clears throat> how does somebody get choose to do their PhD in hell? That feels like that feels like a pretty specific well, thing to want to get to to get to study and focus on. Right. Well, I mean, it was one of those things that that really uh, engaged me existentially because I went to um, little country church growing up, and hell was part of the preaching. It was part of my mm-hmm. geography, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I found it a disturbing doctrine. Nevertheless, it, it bothered me, and. Um, so I wrote about it at Yale, wrote a master's thesis about it at Yale, and still had lots of questions about it, and um, ended up writing my PhD dissertation about it as well. Wow. Yeah. So. All right, I'm going to move this. We'll cut this out. I'll move this just a little closer. Make okay. sure we can hear you. Okay. And I'm going to leave a small break. So you wrote the thesis, the theses, yeah. the plural, I guess, <laughs> on hell. So I'm just wondering, and just like a short, I know there's you've probably written a book about what it looks like, anything like that. But could you just give us a little short thing of, in your experience, in your research, what you've learned, the question you've asked, kind of what does hell look like? And um, when we hear about it, what should we be picturing in our heads? What should we, what do we know about hell? Well, I don't know what hell looks like, but I, I, I got a, a, a better picture maybe of what um, a damned soul would look like. Um, and a damned soul would look like somebody who persistently shuts out the grace of God. Um, they're given every opportunity to repent, given every opportunity to embrace the love of God. Uh, they just steadfastly decline that and go their own way and uh, embrace whatever that entails. So, I don't, so you think post judgment that it's a continual shutting out of the grace of God, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I do hold a view that's somewhat controversial that um, it's possible to repent after death. I mean, traditionally, it's been held that that the moment you die, your eternal fate is is settled. So you know, you have this picture that that God very much loves you and wants you to repent up until the moment you die, but after you die, game over. Uh, I believe God's grace is extended forever to people and that they can they can accept his grace at any time, but sadly, 
some people never will uh, embrace the grace of God. That's, that's what eternal hell would, would be all about, is some people, despite given every opportunity, despite seeing the love of God uh, in every form that, that can be given, they will not uh, repent and accept it. What, like what led you to that? Like you said, it's a controversial. Like what, what um, maybe that's too long of a question, but what led you to that kind of thought yeah, process? Yeah, the, the, just the idea that, um, that um, your, your eternal salvation could be something that's sort of like uh, an accident. So, you know, I, I, I give this, this example in, in one of my other books about hell. So, so you get two teenagers, you know, out one night, you know, let's say, um, they, their father bought them this nice sports car for graduation, and they're out one night, and they're drinking, they have an accident, one of them dies, and these are twin brothers, exactly the same background, same experiences, one of them dies in the accident, and so the traditional view says he goes to hell, because he has not accepted Christ as his Savior. Now, the one that survives, as the story goes, eventually embraces the grace of God, and becomes a very serious Christian. Let's uh, even say he becomes an evangelist or, or, or a missionary or some such thing as that. Now, suppose God knows that the other brother, had he not died in the accident, would also have repented and embraced the grace of God. Hmm. But according to, to the traditional line, he didn't do it before he died, so he's lost, even though he would have repented had he lived. So that seems very you know, odd to me. You know, that, that if God wants to save people, if his desire is not that any should perish, but all should uh, come to repentance, as the Bible teaches, it seems very odd that, that God would allow people to be damned if he knows they would have repented. And, and, and if he knows that, that given additional, you know, clarity and understanding of the gospel, they would accept it. So if you believe God really, really wants to save people, uh, it seems that, that he would not... Um, he would not allow them to be damned under those circumstances. So this will just be, we're recording this, um, we are right after we record an episode about God causing or allowing um, pain and suffering evil. So the the car crash would be outside of God's domain. That was well, not... What do you mean by outside of his domain? The car crash coming was not... That was against God's will for their life. Right. He did not. <clears throat> right. He was not part of orchestrating right, right, the car right. crash. That was car outside crash. of Correct. him. Yes, 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 it happened by natural causes, irresponsibility, just whatever factors mm. you want to appeal to to explain why a car crash happens. <laughs> yeah, I just want to add in real fast. This is it's interesting. I never really thought about that. But it makes sense that God isn't bound to just our earthly circumstances. If, if he's the God of grace, he's the God of grace. Of life and death. He's the God right. of life and death. So there's right. so much mystery of death that we don't know. And I'm like, okay, he he's bigger. He's outside of everything. So he's, yeah, he's the God of grace and salvation and life and death. Yeah, just it's blowing my mind a little bit. Cool to think about. What are, what are some of the scriptures that maybe some people come against you with? Like what are some of the things that people say? Well, in scriptures it says this. Like what do they try and use to refute you? Well, I mean, I, I've had people cite, for instance, the story of um, the rich man and and um, you know the poor beggar laid laid at his sores, laid laid at his, his gate, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and the rich man, you know, says, um, you know, 
send uh, send somebody to to warn my my brother about this place, you know, kind kind of a thing, right? Um, and the idea, you know, is that um, people read this as saying this clearly shows, you know, that it's too late to repent. But I think so. Something else is going on in this story. I think what you see going on is actually self-rationalizing justification. So he's saying, send someone to my brother so he won't, he won't end up here too. The implication being, if I'd been fairly warned, I wouldn't be here either. So that's a subtle form of justification, self, self-justification, rationalization, in which he's implicitly saying, well, I wasn't informed or I, I wouldn't be here either. I, I, I would have repented had I known that this was the case. Mm. And the answer is, he has Moses and the prophets, just like you had. Okay, so so it's not the case that he's not properly informed, nor is it yeah. the case that you weren't properly informed either. So, so he, he's not he's not at the point of genuinely owning his sin. He's not at the point of repenting. He's not, you know, a, a accepting responsibility for for the choices he's made. He's trying to rationalize and defend uh, why he was the way he was. Yeah. So now that he knows though and he has been properly informed because he's seen everything firsthand like the information he's sending to his brother he's seen firsthand he's the one sending the information right well he's so, asking the the information yeah. be sent yeah so wouldn't he then be someone who would turn and accept the grace of god and and you're in the way you think the guy the guy that's uh, that's in hell yeah yeah well the point of the matter is he is yet to come to the point of repenting that that's the okay. point okay so so you, we can hope that as things proceed, he will eventually come to accept responsibility and genuinely repent. But at this point, he is simply engaged in self-justification and rationalization. Again, implying that if I had been properly informed, I wouldn't be here either. That's, that's implicit in his request to send somebody to his brother. Mm-hmm. The implication being, my brother's not properly informed, so inform him at least so at least he doesn't end up here. Mm-hmm. So, right. so he's he's, he, he's pretending to be selfless. He's ignoring the fact that he already was informed and he chose to reject it. Exactly. Exactly. But if you follow, but obviously this is not a real story. But if you followed it, and later it comes that this man then actually realizes that oh wait I was informed, then he would have in this thought process he would then have the ability to repent. Yeah, so, so I would say uh, if he comes to the point where he embraces the fact that he was a sinner, he embraces the fact that he was a selfish, self-centered person who ignored the poor beggar at his gate, okay? If he owns that he was a sinner, owns the responsibility for it, and sincerely repents, that's a different matter. Mm-hmm. That's a different matter. But, but, but again, you don't see genuine repentance in this story. What you have is self-justification, self-rationalization. It's not. It's not genuine repentance. Is it? Is there a point when you no longer get the opportunity? It, it, I, I don't want to say like a number. Obviously, right. it's not right. like oh, once you've had fifty-seven denials, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're done. But is is there a point of over a period? I, I guess maybe I'm asking for a number, but or is it throughout eternity you will continually have the option? Well, uh, again, I would hold that, that God's mercy endures forever. Uh, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. Uh, I, I would hold that he would sincerely desire a person's repentance at any time. And, and uh, any time a person sincerely would repent, own his sin, 
and, and cast himself on the mercy of God, I'm inclined to believe that God will accept that person and, and receive them. And, and that would be, I'm even trying to picture, like, if you are in hell or eternal damnation or eternal separation from God, how would you have the ability to realize who God is in the midst of a place where there is no God? Well, uh, God is everywhere. There's, there's no place you can, you can flee from the presence of God. Uh, so, so I would say, you know, just like the psalmist, Psalm 139 says, you know, you go to hell, God is there. You go to heaven, God is there. In, 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 anywhere you go, God, God is, going to, is going to be there. So hmm. there is no escape from the presence of God. Now, you can escape a loving relationship with God. You can choose not to love God, but his presence is everywhere. He, he pervades all of reality. There's no place you can go to get away from him. Well, Dr. Walls, you got me thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have got me thinking. So I've heard, sorry, Jade, you go. Well, just a quick thing. Because um, when I was younger, you know, I pictured hell, all this flaming, I, I don't know what it is. You just, you know, um, and it's painful and scary and whatever. Um, and I thought pain was like the epitome, like the peak of, so what I'm trying to say is like, I thought pain was the worst part of hell, but you know that God's everywhere and he's in pain. He's in peace. He is peace. And, but then I got older and was like, maybe hell is just the absence of God. Like, like his presence isn't there, but then you say his presence is everywhere. So then I'm like, is it the absence of what, you know, what is it then? The absence (laughs) of his peace and his, the eternal salvation yeah yeah it, it's it's uh it's failing to acknowledge him it's failing to love him it's failing to uh acknowledge the fact that, that that he provided salvation for you to respond with gratitude it's all of that so so god is again you you can't escape god in his presence okay but but you can't escape you can choose not to have a loving relationship with him I, i've got a story i'm going to tell tonight uh, to mm-hmm. illustrate uh, this I've heard I've heard people <coughs> say along the lines of like God, it's not that God isn't present in hell it's just his wrath like that is hell is just the presence of his wrath and that's the only thing people are experiencing would is that what would you say to that theology yeah. I may not be setting it up well right, but right, something right, along right. those lines right yeah I, I I would agree that they're experiencing uh, they're experiencing the wrath of God. But the reason they're experiencing the wrath of God is because of their condition and their their refusing uh, to to embrace Him. So so in in um, in C.S. Lewis's book, <coughs> The Last Battle, uh, do you remember the remember the end of it where the the dwarves, you know, are are they, they've gone through the the stable door, and you know they're they're sitting in there and they're complaining about what a terrible place it is and, and how ugly it is and all this kind of stuff. And Lucy appeals to Aslan and says, Aslan, you know, do, 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 something, do something for them. And he says, well, I will show you what I can and cannot do. And so Aslan you know, produces this beautiful meal, delicious food, puts it on the lap of these dwarves. <coughs> and these dwarves start eating it. And to them, it tastes like you know, very distasteful stuff, you know, rinds and, and stuff like this. And so Aslan says, I'm showing you what I can and what I cannot do. What I can do is put a delicious meal right on their knees, right in front of them. 
But given the fact that they will not open their eyes and accept the truth about themselves, they can't taste it for what it really is. So you, so you would that like you know the traditional theology is is that's true up until a certain point, but once death happens, then it's over. But right. you, but you would take the theology of that that is continually happening for eternity. That they can't that they're consistently not realizing what they have in front of them. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, again, I would hold that the mercy of God endures forever. Uh, the grace of God is always extended. But for those who who never acknowledge their sin, for those who never repent, um, they will always experience God in that negative fashion. I guess my question would be. So for people who never hear, um, like isolated part of the world or in a different culture that wouldn't allow that, you would say they'll still be given that opportunity right. to... No, no, no one is going to go to hell for lack of, of information. No, no, no one will be able to say, my God, if only I'd been informed, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> so I guess the question that then comes up for me, because I always kind of saw this thing as like, oh my gosh, you know, sharing our faith is like the most important thing because these people need to hear because they're here for a limited time and, you know, like there was like a kind of a timestamp on that. And that's right. where like this like urgency came from. But I guess in your way of thinking about this, if I'm taking that on, it kind of doles that out and puts less of an importance on what happens here and what we believe here. And I guess, so does it, what is the purpose of, you know, beyond, I guess you get to live your 50 or 60, whatever years after your conversion, you get to live that with the Lord. And so that's, you know, 60 more years that you're, walking with the Lord, and so that's good. But I guess other than that, does it really matter what happens on earth and what we do and whether we, you know, accept the grace of God or not? Yeah, so, so, so the choices we make, uh, we, can, we can live a very selfish life and we can become the kind of persons that make it harder to repent. Okay, so if someone says, oh, God, God's grace endures forever, His mercy endures forever, I'm just going to live my selfish life. Okay, yeah. so what they're doing is making it very hard to repent. It's going to be more painful. It's going to be more difficult. And so, yeah, I would still say, yes, God's grace will still be extended to them. But given what they've made of themselves, given the choices they made, given how their character has been formed, repentance is going to be more painful and more difficult. Like You could say something along the lines of uh, an addict if they – uh, if in six months in you're like, oh yeah, I could probably quit. So if I know I can quit now, I can keep going. But once you get to five years in, it's going to be a lot harder to it's quit. A lot harder five years in than it was at six months. Absolutely. And that's the importance of repentance. Right. I got to talk about that earlier this week. Of you look at the story of the prodigal son, like right. the father lets the son run. Right. And that is what in and the son realizing if only I could eat at the father's house. Like right. if I could only be a slave, I would be so much better. If I only eat with the pigs, that was him turning and realizing right. this is what I have with the father. Right. Um, and so God lets down us the, run. Down in the pig pen, his eyes were open. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so it's the continual deniance of that. If he had just kept running and running and running, it's a lot harder to turn back to the father. Absolutely. Wow. Our next question is going to be how can a how can a good God um, allow or send people to hell? But I guess with what you're saying is 
he's actually extending them like a ladder out at any point. There's no time that someone's like stuck in hell, if not by their own decisions, by their own choice, by their own heart and heart is kind of what you're getting at. So I guess the question doesn't quite apply because he's giving them the choice forever. Forever. That's what I'm inclined to think. Wow. I heard somebody say this one time they were like, actually the most unloving thing God can do is force somebody to heaven. Does that, I don't know. I don't know if I said that right. If someone continually realizes, Hey, I have this opportunity at a relationship with Jesus and I don't want it. That it's actually unloving for someone to then for God well, the thought process would say it's unloving for God to force that person to spend eternity with him. Yeah, um, because because the bottom line is um, they have not freely chosen to love God, and therefore it would not be real love of God. I mean, it, it would be it would be a pretense. It would be uh, it would be a sham. Mm. Uh, God cannot. I mean, I, I I don't believe God can force people to love him. Now now this depends on whether you're inclined to a Calvinistic view or, or an Arminian yeah. view of, of God's grace. Uh, but Calvinists would say God can determine anybody to do anything he wants. So God can cause you to have sincere love for him. He, he can make you want him yeah. uh, and the like. But if you believe that, that our choices are undetermined, then God can't. Okay, so, so again, the way C.S. Lewis puts this in, in, in the... Um, in that Seventh Chronicles of, of Narnia, where, when Lewis, you know, Lucy appeals uh, to Aslan to do something, he says, again, I will show you what I can and cannot do. And what he can do is provide this delicious meal, but what he cannot do is make them respond positively to his yeah. good graces, so his good gifts. I'm assuming you fall more on the Arminian. Correct. Yeah, that would... I feel like you'd almost be re yeah. undoing yourself. I would be <laughs> yeah. completely undercutting myself. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I would not want to undercut my whole line. Uh, so you you reference one scripture. Uh, you know, God desires all to be saved, and I think I may, I may be paraphrasing it. Are there are there other scriptures that you that you can take to help you form this argument, or is that kind of the one that you rely on? Well, uh, again, I mean, uh, I, I just don't think there's definitive scriptural evidence one way or another. I mean, I, I think the Bible mm -hmm. leaves the matter open. And so uh, I, I think uh, all of us form the position that we think is most coherent with what we believe the Bible teaches overall, with what it teaches about salvation and the like. So, so you know, the, there simply is no clear, explicit body of, of scripture about this yeah you got something jade well yeah so i have some different thoughts and it's it's squirrely and it's kind of blotchy but i'm just gonna try to put it together and you guys can help me so and i'm following you guys i truly believe god's mercy extends beyond any human like comprehension um that's why i think like like babies they can't comprehend if they die or people who are death who literally cannot hear the good news like i think in death god's mercy is big enough to to save them there um but then the question is i think it's in romans one or two maybe the verses that are like um we're without excuse like god reveals himself through his nature and through um like invisible attributes and all these things that's romans one yeah yeah so then i'm like what how do those intertwine are they separate or they work together like um you know like if a baby dies or someone who's deaf or 
someone who just can't like has never heard in a different part of the world um so god's nature he's revealed himself but also can't yeah well, well, what i think about babies uh is that babies grow up and th- they will make a free choice yeah so so you don't you don't go to heaven by dying as a baby right so 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 you know there, there were actually um Bertrand Russell says that you know the Spaniards used to baptize babies and then kill them, you know, to, to make sure they went to heaven. You know, you, you can't guarantee <laughs> someone goes to heaven by killing them as a baby, right? Because uh, I believe that that there are no babies in heaven, right? What would heaven be to a, a little baby? So the the people that are in heaven are all adults. So if you die as a child, you will grow up the life to come and make your choice for God or against God. Mm. That's what I would kind of find. It is so that's the word purgatory. Mm. Is that where that comes in? Is that um, why you wrote about purgatory? Yeah, well, well purgatory, <laughs> yeah, purgatory. I don't know enough about it, but that right, would right, seem right. to be my like. Right. Yeah. Purgatory comes from the word purge, which means to cleanse. And, and traditionally purgatory is, um, is for, for those who are already in grace. That's the way the Roman Catholics uh, teach it. Uh, I believe that, Purgatory uh, not only is about finishing the sanctification process for those who have not finished it in this life, but I, I also think that um, it's that interim state where grace is continually offered to all persons, which traditionally is, that is rejected by the Roman Catholic view because the Catholic view says purgatory is only for those who have already accepted grace okay. but have not completed the sanctification process. So you so where would... You said the the baby would grow up and then get to make the choice, right? And I'm assuming in the same example of the of the drunk driver, the drunk driver would then get to continue and get to make that choice. Or the or the guy, the brother who teenager. died, the teenager who died. Mm-hmm. Are they going to like what? Where is this place that they're growing up before they make their choice? <laughs> I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's um, all I can say is that that I believe God will reveal Himself to them sufficiently to to allow them to make a free choice. Yeah, that He will elicit from them. Yeah, just one more quick thing, because in my mind, I'm like, okay, baby dies; they have no experience of earthly sorrows. They grow up wherever they are, experiencing the love of God with no comprehension of earthly pain, and then they would reject the only beautiful thing they know. That sounds wild to me. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm not right, there. Right, right, right. <laughs> so so, so I, I, would, I would argue that, that, um, that babies would grow up in a situation that would maintain their, their, their freedom. So God's going to reveal himself as clearly as he can, but not to the point that he overwhelms their freedom, their free choice. Okay, so... so so he will make himself known, like like he reveals himself in this life. But but again, it's not going to be so overwhelming that it's like can't possibly reject it or resist it. It's like the the irresistible grace, right? Kind of that thought process. That that is no that's not a thing right. in this realm. Right. There there is still the possibility of resisting the grace presented. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the, the 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 story of the rich man, you know, and Lazarus. I mean, you know, he, he's not he's not repenting, even though you know he's pretty clearly aware mm-hmm. that God exists and so on. I'd love to take your class. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've never, I've, I hate school <laughs> and I've never, ever said that, but I have thought, I thought, wow, I'd love to sit in on this class. Well, that would um, be fun. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. Is there a book? Like if you want to plug your book that you've written, I would love to give it a read on this topic. Well, uh, I've written three books, heaven. I've written a book on heaven. I've written one on hell and I've written one on purgatory and I've written a popular version called heaven, hell and purgatory. That's heaven, got all three purgatory. of them. Yeah. So okay. Where do we have that up? Upstairs? That's that's the place to start, and uh, if you want to read more in detail, uh, more academic detail, you can read the individual books. Yeah, and, and if you are in the Kentucky area listening, you can come to the Lewis House, and we have these. We'll have these books for sale and purchase if you want to get to come get one at uh, the Lewis House at Christian Student Fellowship. Um, well, Dr. Walls, thank you for coming on. Um, that was very, very thought-provoking. <laughs> uh, yeah, just thanks for coming on the podcast and, and giving some information for our listeners. My pleasure.